The Way Out Podcast, episode 234. I was uh, born in Troy, New York. My parents divorced at a young age. I was moved to Minnesota. I never felt, as a child, I had the support and the love from my direct family. I was cut off from most of my family most of my life, besides my biological mother and my brother that I grew up with. Sixth and seventh grade is when the experimentation with weed and things started, started drinking on a semi-regular basis for most of high school. My drinking, I would say, really got out of hand while I was working for a decorative stone manufacturing company. So it got to the point where I was drinking from, I would wake up two hours before work so I could start drinking, so I could make it through the day without the pain getting real bad. And by the end of the day, I'm blacked out at four o'clock in the afternoon begging for rides to the liquor store to go buy four more 40s. And I'm doing this six or seven days a week for pushing two or three years. I woke up May 15th. I was covered in puke. I had pissed my own bed. I woke up to my oldest son waking me up thinking I was dead. And I will never forget the first thought that ran through my mind that morning was, I will never let them see me like this again. That was the moment I realized the white light moment. I'm sure there had been plenty of them before that. I would honestly say I realized I was at rock bottom and I realized what brought me to that point. I was literally within weeks of my wife leaving with my children in the middle of the night. My mother-in-law had been sober for I want to say she just had her nine-year anniversary. So I called her and I said, Sue, I need help. Can you put me in touch with some people? And she put me in touch with some people. And I, you know, started talking. The lifetime of neglect and feeling like I was alone led me to try to escape a reality that once everything wore off, you're right back in it. I would say my biggest family accomplishment is that they're still here. My wife and my relationship is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, 17 years later, I, cu I couldn't ask for any more. I still feel like we're a freshly dating couple. I still get excited to see her kind of thing. I tell people all the time I am genuinely happily married and I don't know many people that can say that and I know if it wasn't for not drinking I wouldn't have any of these things. Right. I've been promoted at work. Uh, my friendships have stayed stable. My relationships with my coworkers and employers are it, you know, my boss calls me and I'm happy to answer the phone. I'm not nervous about, oh God, what did I do now? I truly thought that was going to be the end of my sobriety. And I did what I had to do. I reached out every day. I talked to everyone I could possibly talk to to keep it together. Right about the time I turned that corner, my dad passed away. When I hit my three years sober, was possibly the first time I ever heard my dad say he was proud of me. 
And for those of you who don't know, my dad was a chemical dependency counselor at Hazelden for like 17 years, 16 years, something like that. In typical family fashion, I don't care what you have to say, I need to learn this lesson for myself. You might have had an issue with it, but that doesn't mean I'll have an issue with it. The biggest change from my active using to sobriety was I literally did not want to do that anymore. Here's your life, here's what's happening, and it's not going to change if these things don't change. I didn't come this far to only come this far. I ain't done yet. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week, our magnificent co-host, Jason, has a genuinely instructive interview with person in long-term recovery, Jesse Plumley. Jesse's story of overcoming his battle with drugs and alcohol reinforces truly universal truths about alcoholism, addiction, and what it takes to achieve durable recovery. We must, as Jesse did, admit to and face the fact we have a problem. And then, and this is so critical, we must reach out and seek help from those who have overcome similar problems. We must, as Jesse did, be willing to do whatever it takes to get better and recover and be willing to help others just as we were when we needed it most. We must, as Jesse did, make fundamental lifestyle changes and surround ourselves with others who've done and are doing the same. Jesse's recovery is not rooted in any one particular program. 
Yet his journey and lifestyle changes mirror many of the fundamental principles of any well-known recovery program. No doubt about it, there's lots of great recovery insights in this episode. So listen up. Hey everybody, welcome to the Way Out Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason. I got with me a good buddy of mine, Jesse Plumley. How's it going, Jesse? Not too bad. How are you doing, Jason? I am great. Uh, I know we got a limited amount of time today that you have, but I want to thank you in advance for sharing your story with us and uh, giving some people hope. What's your uh, clean date, bro? Uh, 5-15-2016. 2015, excuse me. Jeez. I know. That's a lot of 24 hours. That's a, Yeah, that's a lot of one days at a time right there. Amen. So if you, you know, I'm wondering how you'll even answer this. If you could say what your like modality of recovery was, like your, your pathway, if you will, what would you say? How would you say that you recovered? Um, I would honestly say I realized I was at rock bottom and I realized what brought me to that point. Uh, I woke up. May 15th, I was covered in puke. I had pissed my own bed. Supposed to start a new job, couldn't sleep, and thought for some reason drinking an entire bottle of Hunter Proof Captain Morgan would be the way to go. I woke up to my oldest son waking me up thinking I was dead. And I will never forget the first thought that ran through my mind that morning was, yep, I will never let them see me like this again. Yeah. You were almost like a white light moment, like just. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was that was the moment I realized the white light moment. I'm sure there had been plenty of them before that. Right. Yeah, because it's like I always say, like, no consequence was ever great enough for me. Stuff that would, would be plenty good enough to scare the shit out of somebody or scare them straight or make them realize that they needed to change, uh, happened to me and it never worked. So what was different that last time I couldn't tell you, you know, it was like, you know, kind of similar to a lot of other experiences, but the, the result was different. You know, the, that profound impact it had on me was what was different. And yeah, I'm I'm grateful for it. That look is something I will never forget. It is. It's yeah. Every time I ever think about drinking, I think about that look and it's just, yep, that's, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Right. And I know that you, you know, you were on the verge of losing, losing the marriage, losing the kids. Oh uh, yeah. I was definitely, I was come to find out a lot closer than I thought I was. I was literally within weeks of my wife leaving with my children in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. And in all reality, I can't, I wouldn't blame her. Right. What I put them through. I still to this day, almost six years sober later, can't believe she put up with it that long. Right. So let's back it up. You know, I want you to kind of start from the beginning. I'll just open the floor, dude, so you can do it and do it to the best of your ability. But, you know, start, start young, start, start from where it all began. And then, uh, Talk to us a bit about, you know, where it brought you and, and the damage it caused. All right. Well, I was uh, 
born in Troy, New York. My parents divorced at a young age. I was moved to Minnesota because they thought having a life here would probably be better than staying in Troy, which in hindsight, it most likely was. Uh, Troy is a suburb of Albany. It'd basically be like uh, living in Robbinsdale versus growing up in Mora, Minnesota kind of thing. Uh, small town life was a good idea. I My parents were not the... The most supporting and loving of parents, my uh, my dad, my stepmom, that is. I uh, never really heard. I was I'm proud of you as a kid. You know, granted, I was not the greatest of kids behavior wise, but I never felt as a child. I had the support and the love from my direct family. I was cut off from most of my family most of my life, besides my biological mother and my brother that I grew up with. As a Young teen, 12, 13 years old, I want to say the summer between sixth and seventh grade is when the experimentation with weed and things started, started drinking on a semi-regular basis for most of high school. I moved to Florida the summer between eighth and ninth grade, got caught up with the wrong crowd doing drugs, drinking all the time. We ended up uh, robbing a house, got busted for that, went to jail for that, got sent back to Minnesota, did all my uh, probation and community service and the things of those nature I was supposed to do. I got a job working at the casino, met Alicia. We've been together since 2004 now. Uh, both of the boys came when they came. Uh, my, my drinking, I would say really got out of hand while I was working for a decorative stone manufacturing company. I have always been the guy who I'm not a pill guy. I don't take Percocets. I don't take Vicodins. I don't take aspirin. I don't take Tylenol. I'm not, I don't know why I was always okay with smoking weed, but I was not okay with taking Advil. Uh, <laughs> but my my hands, I developed pretty bad arthritis in my hands and I would go home at night and my hands would be swollen to the point where I couldn't, I, I couldn't unzip my pants to use the bathroom at night. I would sleep in the bathtub because my hands felt like they were on fire. Mm. So it got to the point where I was drinking from, I would wake up two hours before work so I could start drinking so I could make it through the day without the pain getting real bad. Wow. And by the end of the day, I'm blacked out at four o'clock in the afternoon, begging for rides to the liquor store to go buy four more forties. Yeah. And I'm doing this six or seven days a week for pushing two or three years. I finally get out of the construction game. Hands are starting to get a little better. I got a job working in Dalbo and I was supposed to start relatively early in the morning. I could not sleep. My father-in-law had a 1.75 liter bottle of Hunter Proof Captain in the freezer. Started with three shots in a highball glass. And the next thing I knew, I had drank the entire bottle and had to be to work in five hours. I went to bed. Meanwhile, you know, I've drank 1.75 liters of Hunter Proof alcohol and I'm still conscious. I went to bed. I woke up to my son waking me up crying, thinking I was dead. And I, I was done. The, the lifetime of 
neglect and feeling like I was alone led me to try to escape a reality that once everything wore off, you're right back in it. Right. Now you're hungover and discombobulated and out of sorts and still have to deal with it. And your only logical escape is to keep doing it over and over and over again. And I've always been the, even since I was a teenager, I've put it to, I'm so used to things going wrong in my life that when things go right, I will intentionally sabotage. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I'm so, I was so used to playing the victim until the day I decided to stop playing the victim. Right. And there's freedom in that, you know, it's like, hard. there is, there's <clears throat> the day you can admit that you have a problem and can look back and realize how long you've had a problem is an eye opening moment. So true. Yeah. Cause it gives you power, you know, cause now, you know, oh, absolutely. now you know what you're working with. It's, it's a painful moment, yes. <laughs> you know, but yes. And when you go back to the beginning and try to, where does this all stem from? There's a, a million forks in the road where if you'd have turned one way, this could have all been different. But at the same time, you change one thing, you change everything. Right. You know, I wouldn't say by any stretch of the imagination, I'm glad I've went through these things. But at the same time, I'm glad that I know people who have gotten sober because they've seen me do it. And it's like, well, hell, if Plumley can do it, it can't be that bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, really? It can and it can't. It's all in the mind frame. I mean, I'm pulling up on six years and I still have stressful days at work where it's like, man, I could stop at the bar on the way home. Right. And it's like, well, maybe I'm working overnights and the bars are all closed on my way home for a reason. Right. You know, it's I can't even buy booze on the way home. All the liquor stores won't sell them. It works out well. Yeah. Right. Or you get you get far enough removed from like the relational issues with your wife or, or, Absolutely. or, or the way that your kids looked and responded to you yep. and it's easy to forget that you actually deteriorated shit to that point. What, you know, because, oh my God. and, and yeah. that's when we fucked up, when we start thinking like everything's better now, it's all fixed. Yep. I know, good. I can, I know that. that I will never be able to responsibly drink alcohol. Even when the thought crosses my mind, it's never, I want a beer. It's, I want 30 beers. Yeah. Six like, years later. I want to get, you know, and I imagine it's the same for all addicts, but I imagine it's different because, well, you know, it's, you know, one addict, you know, one addict, not all of them. Correct. Yeah. Everybody's different. Man. So since you, uh, when you first decided you were done, like, what did that look like? How, uh, Oh man. Uh, my mother-in-law had been sober for, I want to say she just had her nine year anniversary. So I called her on the, like literally woke up, took a shower and called her on the spot. And I said, Sue, I need help. Can you put me in touch with some people? And she put me in touch with some people and I, you know, started talking, which I think was a, 
a big thing. There's a lot of things that feel like it's easier to open up to somebody you don't know than somebody you really do trust. Sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Cause if you want, you never have to see or hear from them again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I ended up working in Elk River. I don't know if I can mention names, but I'm sure you know who I'm referring to. And he was a huge help. I, I, I don't know if role models would be the word I'm looking for, but it totally is. You know, it's the same conversation I had with you when you first got sober. Like we're, we were good friends, man. We did a lot of, a lot of good times and a lot of stupid stuff. And I'm glad that we got our, got our lives together right around the same time. Me too, man. You know, it's a, a blessing like, for sure. And to and me, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch not only somebody that you, you knew and cared about when you were, you know, active addiction, like, uh, yeah, like to get it or just start to fix things in their life, but then to watch the growth and to see them sustain it. Cause you know, yeah, I'm sure, you know, as well as I do that, you know, getting clean is kind of the easy part. Staying, yep. clean. staying clean isn't the same as getting clean. Yeah. that's Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. It's getting clean was easy. Staying clean was not right. You know, and that whole 24 hours at a time is no joke. It's, you didn't have a bad day. You had a bad few hours. Don't let it ruin your whole day. Don't let one bad day ruin six or seven years worth of progress. Right. I always feel like, you know, my, my level of gratitude is what um, helps keep me clean the most, you know, it's oh, like, I'm so thankful for the support system that's around me that I wish I'd have realized I had so much sooner. Well, and I think Jesse, it's instructive because sure, you you didn't do a twelve step modality of recovery. You didn't even really nope. do any kind of like a, a formatted program type way. But you have here in in your story um, some really practical, and and it's it's right in line with the the principles of any program. Is like you can't. Oh, yeah. do, that you can't do it alone, that you need support nope. system, that you need mentorship, you know, you need, you need guides, right? Like, Oh yeah. I have three or four people that I reach out to on a regular basis. And I mean, three or four times a week, like, Hey, if you got a minute to call me, call me, I could really use somebody to talk to. And I have two or three people that call me at least once a week. Like, Hey, could you, you know, you spare a few minutes to give me a call here. Right. I absolutely will. And that's, that's another, I think, little blessing of me working overnights is I work in an office. I can take phone calls on an emergency basis for things like that if I need to. Right. And I feel like in our world, most people are, you're more likely to relapse at 11 o'clock PM than seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, dude. Totally. You know, and I want to be there when the urge strikes, not when it's too late. Cause like for me, it would start with wanting to get a drink and that would maybe happen in the evening, but that drink wouldn't be just one drink. And then, so like around that time, like you're talking, I would be pretty juiced and, and that's when I would, and that's when I would probably want to get some meth or some weed or some crack or some Coke or (laughs) something. Yeah, because once I'm drunk, then like the gloves come off, and yep. now, 
then it's party time. My brain is like, this ain't what I want. You know, I want that, that next level, you know? Right. Stupid. So that's why I don't even fuck around, you know, like even with weed, like I still love the smell of weed, but I won't dare smoke it. Cause I know I'm going to get caught. You know, the and, then a, bring you down. and then a beer is going to sound really good. You know? Yeah. And then the beer is going to make me think that like a pile of rocks and a bag of needles sounds really good. <laughs> right. And then that'll make you start thinking the jail cells for a few months sound great. No, that never sounds good. Doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> Was never a fan. And I've always like I've always referred to myself as the lucky addict. I never went to jail. I never got DUIs. I never got possession charges. I never got drunken disorderlies. You know what I mean? Like drinking is the reason I ended up robbing a house when I was 16 years old, but I didn't. I was never charged with anything drug or alcohol related. If that makes any sense. Totally makes sense, bro. Did plenty of stupid shit. Just never got charged or caught for it. Right. So it wasn't like you need to go to treatment. You need to do this. It's court ordered. It's this has to happen. It was all the look on that boy's face, man. I'll right. I'll never forget it. So like I want to I want to hear about some of the I guess you could say accomplishments since oh, you, man. since your sobriety that you've been through would be one way to put it but you know I I'd like you to kind of think think about it on a deep level too you know like emotionally for you uh for your family like what what those accomplishments meant to you as well cuz or to them because it's it's so important. Like even some, oh, something, yeah. something that seems like a small victory could be so like profoundly just powerful to you or your family. You know what I mean? Like, right. So let's hear about some of the, those accomplishments. I would say my biggest family accomplishment is that they're still here. Um, my, as you know, my youngest son has autism and he was, I don't know if scared is the word I'd use, but skittish around me yeah. because I would be on edge and loud and rambunctious because I'm drunk all the time kind of thing. And that has completely worn off. It's not, he doesn't have a problem asking me questions. He doesn't, you know, got no problem coming in and talking to me kind of thing because he knows I'm not going to be drunk and angry and yelling. My oldest son, I've been able to watch him develop into quite the young man and football player. He's a, you know, he's been working for as long as he's been legally allowed to work a job. He worked at McDonald's for six months and now he's at Jimmy John's. Uh, my wife and my relationship is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, 17 years later, I, I couldn't ask for any more. I still feel like we're a freshly dating couple. I still get excited to see her kind of thing. I tell people all the time I am genuinely happily married. And I don't know many people that can say that. And I know if it wasn't for not drinking, I wouldn't have any of these things. Right. I've been promoted at work. Uh, my friendships have stayed stable. My relationships with my coworkers and employers are. It, you know, my boss calls me and I'm happy to answer the phone. I'm not nervous about, oh, God, what did I do now? <laughs> uh, the weirdest thing. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't. I've had a, a clear license and insurance for 
five plus years now, which was never, I never got my license taking away, taken away for drinking or anything, but I just didn't care enough to the point where I never had one. Right. What, what do I need it for? I'm, I'm not going to get pulled over. I'm the invincible guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, I haven't had to take anything to the pawn shop in years. And that's <laughs> nice. That's, that's nice. A that's a big deal. That, I mean, there's so many little cycles of life that change when you go from active use to conscious sobriety that you never even realized were absolutely holding you down. Right. Even in the moments of sobriety. Well, I think it's, it shows too that, you know, cause so many people have a problem with spiritual peace or maybe they're just making it too big of a deal, a bigger deal than it really is. Because it's like, as long as you're so, like clean, um, you, you're going through things, right? Like always. And you can't grow through something unless you go through it. And when we were using, we just numbed it out or like tucked it away, you know, swept it under the rug, pretended it wasn't there, blew it off. And now you're going through things, which means you're growing through things. And like, just in an organic kind of way, you do learn a lot of life lessons and grow up a lot and, and like all that shit, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's when that moment you realize your whole outlook on life has changed. Right. You know, I used to look forward to the weekends because it's party time. And now it's like, all right, we get to take, we get to go see Tom and Jerry as a family instead of we're going to go to the bar. You know, we're going to go up to Gooseberry Falls instead of we're trying to party at a bonfire for the weekend. And it's cheaper. <laughs> Way cheaper. Way cheaper. Man, for sure. It's it's been a ride. It's been a ride for sure. And I thought I definitely thought when I first got sober at six years, it wouldn't still be something I have to put a conscious effort into, but no, you do. Oh God, every day. All day long. Pressure. You know, people still are like, man, you know, people still invite me to the bar and then I have to oh, do it all the time. Yeah. I have to explain to them, you know, but at the same time, like every major holiday, I throw the Facebook post out there. If you need a sober cab, call me. I'll come get you at 12 o'clock at night. I don't care. Hell yeah. I will come pick you up two o'clock in the morning. Cause I don't want to go to your funeral. I've been to enough. Right. Been to enough. And it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because we're so much more conscious of our generation, but it seems like this has just ravaged our generation. Yeah. Well, I often ask myself the same question, like, like, is it more death or is it that I was so self-involved and in my own world, um, isolated from the world and getting high and not going to events or functions, you know, like, so was I just that out of touch or is it really actually like more death right now? Cause I would not be surprised if I think this has been happening. Oh yeah. yeah, The whole time I've been alive. And And I just wasn't that because it's the people we know and it's the people that we've been through with. We're so much more conscious about. Right. Yeah. It's a trip. It is. It's insane. We are more in touch with the world around us and within us. You know, it's like, 
kind of freaky sometimes, but it's like the longer I stay doing this, then the, the more in touch with myself I get and the, you know, my, my understanding of myself and the world around me continues to change. Oh man, who I am today versus who I thought I was. Right. It's amazing. The lies you can convince yourself of. Did you get your house before or after you got clean? After. No, before we were in the house when I started my sobriety. Okay. And then we ended up losing the house over the most ridiculous contract I've ever seen in my life. But that's a whole nother situation. Right. And. I truly thought that was going to be the end of my sobriety and I did what I had to do. I reached out every day. I talked to everyone I could possibly talk to, to keep it together. Right. right about the time I turned that corner, my dad passed away and that was a rough one as it was, you know, like I said earlier, me and my dad were not always the closest Right. But it was towards the end, we tried to make bygones, bygones. And that was when I hit my three years sober was possibly the first time I ever heard my dad say he was proud of me. And for those of you who don't know, my dad was a chemical dependency counselor at Hazelden for like 17 years, 16 years, something like that. So. So he was probably trying to drill his shit in your head for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it was in typical family fashion, I don't care what you have to say, I need to learn this lesson for myself. You might have had an issue with it, but that doesn't mean I'll have an issue with it. Right? Yep. Plus, you know, people that are like really connected and involved in recovery stuff, I mean, they learn that a healthy, le healthy level of detachment is really important like boundaries not owning other people's stuff yeah so aside from making like a passing comment or something that's probably about all they do anyway because you're not going to change unless you want to change you're not going to get help unless yep. you want yourself to get help you know yes and i've that's i've used those exact words the biggest the biggest change from my active using to sobriety was i literally did not want to do that anymore right it came to the point of here's here's your life here's what's happening and it's not going to change if these things don't change correct you know it's like fuck. when we think that's ridiculous or you know but then, I, you know, I guess I did get to the point where I wouldn't have even thought that it was possible that I could change. Like, yeah, right. Like, even if Oh, I, man. Never in, never in a million years would I have thought I, I got this far. No. And I always use the terminology, I didn't come this far to only come this far. I ain't done yet. Amen, brother. That's a great quote. You know, I, I really do feel like if I can do it, anybody can. It just, you really do have to want it and you have to be willing to make those lifestyle changes and those sacrifices. I mean, I quit smoking dope many, many years ago. And when I did, I cut contact with 
everyone I did dope with. Deleted phone numbers, blocked them on Facebook, no way to contact each other. And it makes it a lot easier when you don't see them, when you don't put yourself in those situations. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd like to believe if I was hanging out at the bar all the time, I probably wouldn't be sober still. Yeah. No. If I was hanging out at bonfires, partying with everybody all weekend, I probably wouldn't be sober still. So on my days off, I stay home and watch movies with the family. Yeah. If you, well, you know, people, places and things, man, is a, it's, uh, it's a vital uh, part of how we get better. And it was my biggest stumbling block personally for all the years, you know, all my attempts of controlling my behavior uh, would ultimately be thwarted by me giving in to that voice in my head saying, I wonder how Jesse's doing, you know, I wonder what's, oh, yeah. what's been going you, on. That's one thing social media has done to everyone is it, it's just so much easier to focus yourself on what everyone else is doing and what everyone else has like, Oh, he's on vacation. I wish, I wish I was on vacation. What is he doing that I'm not doing that lets him go on vacation so much? Harrison is why does, deep of joy. Why does he have this nice car and I don't, even though I work 60 hours a week and he only works 30. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's there's always something else going on in someone else's life that you have no idea about. Exactly. Well, it's like my pastor at my church says, you know, it's it's the highlight reel, you know. Don't just because somebody's life looks perfect on Facebook doesn't mean that's what their life's even remotely sort of really like. Yep, I've met plenty of people that look like millionaires. They got 50 bucks in the bank. <laughs> and I met plenty of people that look like they're homeless with three commas in their account. Amen, brother. So it is. It is what it is. The world is a strange place. <laughs> it is, dude. I always try to like remember no matter what, that I'm I'm no better than anybody else. Nope. And that I need to be genuine because if I'm not then I'm cheating myself out of the help and support that I could get, you know? Absolutely. And the help and support you can give. True. And that's another you know, thing I think is instructive about, what, you know, your story is like you, you have a heart for service. Now you, you've pointed out a couple different times, you know, that you have people that you keep in touch with, you know, directly on a regular basis yeah. support network, but that they help you and you help them that you absolutely that you're willing and and offer freely to sober cap people and these are things my friend that it's funny because even without working a program jesse you have literally uh you're you've shifted your lifestyle and your thinking and your belief system and your attitudes in a way that's pretty much directly in line with what a 12-step program or anything like that you know, it teaches you is these. I can't remember who I had the conversation with. And it's like, I don't work the program, but I definitely work a program. Yeah. Well, and I think that the biggest uh, piece of it is just that desire to be a better person, right? Absolutely. I don't. I've watched this cycle ravage my family for generations. You know, it's. It's like being the first kid that went to college. I broke the cycle. 
And it's, you know, my, my oldest son is 15 years old. I know where I was at 15 and he ain't there. And that is a nice feeling. That's right. You know, at 15 years old, I was robbing houses, get drunk in the mornings. He's <laughs> a pretty good student and he's a student athlete. He's got a job and he's responsible and helps his grandparents and volunteers. And awesome. you know, it makes and you feel like you're doing something right. And maybe, maybe, you know, you're, your downfalls as a parent uh, might have had a greater purpose than you think, you know, like me. Oh yeah. It all happens for a reason. Yeah. Cause them boys, even though they, hopefully they don't ever have to go that route or whatever in their own life that they can, you know, even when that temptation's there that they've hit, they have a picture in their mind of what that looks like. And, and, and not only that, but when it's somebody that they love, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I always, like I've always said that my dad kind of turned a blind eye to what we did. It was one of those, you're going to do it anyway. So I'd rather have you do it at home than doing it in random places, which, you know, when you have that mentality at 13, 14 years old, where it's like, I can just go ahead and smoke a bowl in my room. Cause I know dad would rather have me do it in here than out behind the house and burn something down or, I could just, you know, at 12 years old, I was asking my parents for cigarettes. Right. Like that would never fly with my kids. Like there was just so much leniency when I was a kid. It was ridiculous. And we took it and ran. And me and I'm not the only one in my family that's had this issue. And I'm not the only one that's got it together. But right. I definitely feel like. I broke the cycle. Like, I don't, I don't know how to word this, but I don't see myself letting my kids get to the point where my parents let me get. Right. You're not, you're not going to be like passive about it. That's for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I, I actually feel like my drug use as a teenager was condoned. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, it was never hidden kind of thing. Like I, I never had to hide anything. I could leave it right out in the open and nobody would ever say a word to me at 15 years old. I'd cash a paycheck from work and my dad would go to the liquor store for me at <laughs> yeah. 15 years old. I got a 1.75 liter of Jack Daniels drinking with two 13 year olds. That's probably a terrible idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, that wasn't the smartest of things to do, but okay. I'm sure in his mind it was i'd rather them do it here and i know they're safe versus wherever they may go and try to get back here right on you know i get i get the thought process but either way it was not a great idea no no it's funny because i remember i had a couple places i hung out when i was a kid that were like that you know their parents were that way and that's why yeah you hang out at their fucking house and that, exactly. That's why everybody hung out at their house because their parents didn't care. Oh, you want to? You want cigarettes? Make sure you put them out. Oh yeah, there's beer in the fridge. Yeah. So I mean, it it really did. Uh, it gave it. It gave me a safe haven, you know, to just let my hair down, so to speak, and and uh, not be fearful or feel uncomfortable. You know, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and so just let my little addict and alcoholic blossom freely. Right. But hey, I got. It. I know you're limited for time, and I do have some rapid fire questions I would love to get 
from you before you go for it. Kick me off of your phone. <laughs> Number one, what's the best piece of advice that you've received? Literally, and it's so stereotypical, but one day at a time. It's take it minute by minute if you got to, but it's only one day. Yeah. Especially when you get it caught up in a feeling, dude. And, <sighs> and it's like, and I mean, I remember when people would tell me that you just got to take it one day at a time. And it's, you know, you couldn't have came up with anything less stereotypical. And it's the absolute truth. It, it really is. I, I can, I'm hard pressed to think of a bad week I've ever had. I may have had a bad day, but I ain't never had a bad week. Right. No, it's so crazy. You got to focus on the positives. Focus more on the wins than the losses. Right. Don't get sucked into the negative negativity and shit. You'd be surprised how much you're winning every day that you never give yourself credit for. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I try to. I catch myself doing the same thing, you know, just kind of getting too focused on the the bad things and not. Yeah. And, and and so I'm losing sight of the the good things, you know. The positives, yeah. What next question? What's a and I'm not even sure if you're a reader or not, but what's like a book recommendation if you have one for something that like has helped you in your journey of self betterment? Um, actually, my mother in law turned me on. I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong. I I want to say it's Brene Brown the unlocking us podcast yeah fantastic that's uh that's been a big one i uh not not big into the recovery literature that i've been given so far right but the, it you could know, be like, anything it could you know it could like be anything. exactly i think i just need to search out something different than what i have yeah Dude, if you like that Unlocking Us podcast, dude, I do. Start digging into her uh, her catalog of stuff. I have a book my mother in law gave me, and I know she's going to listen to this podcast. I'm sorry, I still haven't cracked it, but I need. Well, I, I really want to start reading it, but my my work schedule's just been insane lately. <laughs> dude, but yeah, she gave me one for Christmas, and I was like, "Why does this name sound familiar?" And it took me about two weeks to realize, "Hey, she hosts this podcast that I've been listening to for the last two months." Which one are you? Which book is it? <sighs> I'm not. I can't even tell you off the top of my head. Dare to lead, I believe. Yep, dare to lead. So check it out. Anybody that listens to the show already knows this. That Brene Brown is my Yoda. she's she is my yoda and uh she has her work has helped me immensely i'm a huge fan of that podcast as well she also just started another podcast that's uh the dare to lead podcast but um check that out but her work i have every one of her books on my uh audible and I, i love them and and she even uh does her own like she she is the voice doing, you know, presenting the book to you. So yeah. it's very much just like the podcast, or if you look at her TED Talks, you know, it's the same kind of feel to it. Like she's just got this. She's so relatable. She's a great storyteller and very personable. And and I think it just she's very authentic is the thing that makes her feel that way. But yeah, she's she's a genius, and uh, she is. It's, yeah, yeah. 
So she's very relatable, and it was something I wasn't expecting when I started listening to that podcast. So yeah, I mean, I'm just like I can't get enough of the content that she puts out. She's amazing. All right, next question, dude. Because we, I could talk all day about Brene Brown. <laughs> what is the hardest thing you've done since you got clean? Well, that's a good one, Jason. That's a good one. Um, I would say that the easiest answer is stay clean. But um, I would <laughs> say the hardest thing that I've done is legitimately change the way I approach stressful situations right i don't i remember when i realized my drinking was getting out of control and it was oh i'll just reward myself on the weekends and i'll black out for the whole weekend and then i go back to work like i did something awesome right it's like once you get out of that mentality it's freeing man it's freeing it really is for sure changing changing your outlook will be one of the hardest things well was one of the hardest things i've done and it it definitely has been for the better yeah what's the most rewarding thing you've done uh rebuild the close relationship with the boys and my wife absolutely i cannot imagine life without them in it amen not not for me Right. So what, what's a song that reminds you of your recovery? A perfect circle, the package. Nice. That whole 13th step album was one of my favorite albums before I ever got sober. And then listening to it as a recovering addict. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, now the title makes sense. <laughs> it's yeah. Definitely. Definitely the package. Just I listening did. to the you know why I'm here and you know what I'm up to, but I can thoroughly convince myself you don't. Right. Yeah, man. It's cool. Like I think this is probably my favorite question that I've come up with for this rapid fire because well, a, I always get turned on to some stuff I never heard before. A lot of times, like there's been plenty of people that have told me about it, something I've never heard of and it's just awesome. So it's cool. Cause it, but it's also even makes me revisit songs that I know about that maybe I didn't, I haven't listened to since I've been in recovery or it just never listening to them from a different perspective makes it a whole new song. For real, or or like maybe you know you never could really understand the lyrics very good. So now it's like I'm gonna revisit right. and I'm gonna now you're digging into it. You're listening hard. Yeah, you're listening to it, not just hearing it. And then I'm like, holy shit, dude! <laughs> right? Whoa! Yeah, I love it. Um, so I w- the next question was gonna be uh, any if you had any like recovery resources that you would recommend, but I would think that that unlocking us podcast. I was gonna say, I would definitely recommend anything Brene Brown does and a support system of any sort. 
if it's one person, it's one person. If it's 10, 10 people, it's 10 people. But have someone you can trust and someone you can talk to and someone you can be absolutely open with and somebody who will be absolutely open and accountable with you. Somebody who will justify it is not the person you want around. Yeah. Amen. You need those people that will call you when they see it, when they see those behaviors starting. Hey, bud, I'm seeing the pattern. Pay attention. You know, get a hold of it. We know where this is going to go. Yeah. Like you need people that are willing to call you out because I don't know about you, dude, but I'm always the last to know when I'm starting to, uh, you know, when like my attitudes are deteriorating. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm the same way. Everybody notices it before I notice it. And it's, hey, what's going on? What do you mean? Oh, right. Oh. And when they tell me, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to get defensive and be kind of yep. a dick. But you know what? Like, I'm going to I'm going to chew on it and I'm going to come back and I'm going to promptly make an amend. If I need to make an amend. I'm right. gonna Thank you for calling me on this. Yep. Because that's the important thing, you know. Um, we need people that are willing to speak into our lives, you know, like, yeah. And not be a yes man or not like turn, turn the cheek and, you know, look away when shit's going down or you need to surround yourself with the same people who have an enthusiasm for recovery and seeing yourself do well as you surrounded yourself with the same people who had enthusiasm of going out to the bar every Friday night or had the enthusiasm of we are going to get high tonight. We are going to do this tonight. Those people that will do whatever it takes to get that buzz. You need to surround yourself with the people who are willing to do whatever it takes not to. Right. And then, you know, to that point, I've noticed too, in my own journey that, like put aside like sobriety or people that are like focused on sobriety for a second. And just like, it doesn't matter where, uh, if it's work, if it's church, if it's, you know, any, anywhere or anything that I'm doing, if I'm visiting family for the holidays, everybody's got their shit and everybody's got their overcomer stories. Every, mm-hmm. Everybody's uh, been in a place where they were a fucking mess and now they're not, yep. know, not as much of a mess and this is how they did it. So you'd be surprised. Like, I think all the things that we felt like ashamed and we didn't want anybody to know about our whole lives is really like right. not that big of a deal to share. In fact, it's not sure, as uncommon as you think it is. Exactly. And then you're going to end up get, if you're willing to share that stuff more freely, you'd be surprised at the stories that people come back at you with and the, and the way it changes your connections and your bonds and your relationships everywhere. You know, I mean, I take this shit with, I don't shy away from talking about recovery or, you know, my relationship with God or any of that stuff anymore, no matter where I'm at. And it, and as, yep. a result, as a result, I've like created sweet ass bonds with people everywhere, you know, like even work and stuff. It's cool. You know, it's all, all the same shit that I never would have talked about before, you know? It's amazing what you're capable of when you're finally comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd love to tell you, Jesse, that I'm a hundred percent like, yeah, I love me so much, you know? I'm right. So I was say, I'd love to tell you the same, Jason, but we're friends and I don't need to lie to you. Right. Like I still have things that make me 
you know, or, or like, I guess you'd say like unforgivable sins that I, can't, Oh yeah. I still, there's still think. things I think about that. will they'll haunt me right. plain and simple. I'll think about them for the rest of my life. But at the same time, I know there's nothing I can do about it. Now I've made the amends that I can make and I've made the steps I can make to make it better. And there's really, it's out of my control at this point. Right. Yeah. And that's for me, I think that's what makes things the hardest to accept is when you realize that there is nothing you can do about it. Right. It's crazy. Okay. One last one, dude. Uh, All right. We think daily routine is really important uh, on this show. You know, there's, there's things when we get well that we do that have helped us on a daily basis, you know, things that we try. Absolutely. To so tell us about any uh, things that are in your daily routine that help you uh, to basically keep sane. <laughs> my, my weekend routine is insane because I don't do anything but work and sleep. But on my days off, I have tried to make it a priority to spend time with my family that I ignored for years in active addiction. I would, I'd come home from work and spend my entire days off blacked out. I don't know what we did. It wasn't, we never spent quality time together. And I will always feel like I, I robbed my children of that time and I will spend the rest of it trying to make up for it. So right. hold on, Bubba. We're almost done here. You're doing that. You're doing I that. am. I am doing that. And it's, it feels good. And like, I will get, I'll get random messages from people like, Hey man, I saw what's going on with everybody. I just wanted to say, it's so good to see all of this. You know, I got, I got the job I got because of my sobriety. I got my previous job I had because of my sobriety. A good friend of mine reached out and he's like, Hey man, I've been watching your progress closely. Call this number and you can start driving. Right. You know, it's the, the world of, the world of people that are willing to help out after you've spent a while actively trying not to burn them anymore. Right. It's pretty astounding. That's awesome, man. And it's, you would be surprised who's willing to forgive you when you're honestly and sincerely sorry. Yeah. Cause so, there's a couple of people I thought for sure would never talk to me again. No, but they and just, I, I wouldn't blame them for to it. see you doing good, you know, and they want to see you continue that, you know, yep. like, I don't know how many amends I made. Um, and in response to me asking, you know, is there anything I can do to make it right? Their yep. response was keep doing what you're doing, man. Yep. And that's exactly it. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's nice to see the guy that I became friends with come back. Oh yeah. Well, hey, Jesse. Mr. Keep, Jason. Keep doing what you're doing, man. <laughs> you too, buddy. Keep oh, yeah. going, Thanks for being on the show today. and I'll, Thanks uh, for having me, bud. Yeah, I'll let you get going. So everybody out there in Whale Podcast land, tune in again next week. Until then, have a great week ahead. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week so keep listening up if you would like to reach out to the show you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com that's wayoutcast all one word dot com 
There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.